Hello, I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In this episode, Lana meets her son, and we find out what happened to Sister Jude and Kit Walker. This is the end. This is the end. In this this is episode, the end. it's the end. Yeah. Everything gets wrapped up, sort of, kind of. Um, yeah. And yeah, it gets... Uh... Let's get into it. So this is a slightly different one because... Even though everything sort of gets wrapped up for all of the characters that we've been following throughout the whole season, actually, it's all through one character. So actually, this episode is all about Lana and Johnny Morgan. It still sounds like an alcohol. Like every time you say it, I'm like, yeah, I'd love a glass of Johnny Morgan right now. I mean, it's <laughs> as we mentioned, it's a cocktail that we need to make up. Yes. We're now in the future, slash present, slash past, because it's like, what, 2012, 2014? I don't know, time anymore. But <laughs> we meet an old Alana who we can infer has had a long and distinguished career because she's getting some sort of honor at the Kennedy Center. And she's got a lovely apartment and Bono painted a, a portrait of her on a napkin on a flight back from Somalia. <laughs> I hated that bit. <laughs> <laughs> Such a douchebag thing to say. Oh, yes, my good friend Bono just drew that off me when he was drunk. And when when her wife comes in and she's like, darling, don't forget, we've got the Sondheim dinner oh tonight. It's yes. like, oh, my God. I both hate them and I want to be them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm just incredibly jealous because yeah. I would also like to just have a Sondheim dinner in the evening. And also just roll my eyes at it like, oh, it's just so, <sighs> such a drag. I'm so bored of Stephen. So yeah, like, talking oh, about Meryl is going to be there. Yeah. Oh, talk about their art. <laughs> Boring. Just, you know, talk about their like how many Oscars they've got. Like, come on, who doesn't have three Oscars? Calm I down. Running out of shelf space for all my awards. <laughs> so what do you make of older, established Lana? I mean, like we said, mm. <laughs> sort of fully annoying. <laughs> I don't know. Well, she she's not. She's that great combination of, yeah, someone who is irritating and enviable. I think mm. that is, we've kind of already hit the nail on the head. Um, because... Yeah, she's just so accomplished <laughs> and and she's so confident and she's like, oh, do do the light, pull up the light. Oh, you don't know how to make us old gals look good, you young things. What are they teaching you in film school? <laughs> and she's just so sort of, I don't know. I think maybe it annoys me because I know I'll never be that confident as an old woman. <laughs> like I would love to just like get to old age and be like, I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> I am so successful. <laughs> I have achieved everything I've ever wanted to achieve. Now I'm just going to say what I feel like. I love her. It's like she's both <laughs> a dickhead and fully aspirational and also 
like has big Jane Fonda vibes. You know what I mean? Like yes. Jane Fonda at 80 is an unbelievable like presence and confidence and just humor and self-awareness. And that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting from Sarah Paulson's performance here as sort of older Lana. Yeah, I feel like Jane Fonda's a little more humble, I would say. <laughs> yes. You know, like Jane Fonda, she doesn't really boast about things. She's mm. like, yeah, I got arrested a bunch in the 60s, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> um, But yeah, I know what you mean. There is a bit of an, there's that essence mm. of like someone who's just really, really lived. Yes. And, you, and, and that is like very freeing in a sense, mm. I feel like. And nothing frazzles them anymore. Yeah. And what did you make of the... Because basically, we don't really move from this scene throughout the whole episode. Like, everything takes place in Lana's apartment, which is, you know, opulent and fabulous and very much golden. But we, through the course of this interview, we get flashbacks to essentially the life that she's lived and the wrap-up for all of the characters that ha that are still alive that we've met throughout the season. So what do you make of, of Lana's journey as she is retelling it? It's, and it goes back to what we were talking about last week, I think. is It's so interesting to see. Uh, she's quite, there's something quite flawed about her. Like, she has really changed before our eyes between that two and a half year gap where she became like an international sensation. Mm she there is something quite manipulative about her now and i know mm. we've talked about it before about mm. her ambition and her drive but in the previous episodes they always had sort of a a pure a pure aim to them mm. we just got the sense that there was something else bubbling underneath mm -hmm. so it's so interesting now to get to the last episode and and see her I think in some moments in this, just, yeah, be completely barefaced, yeah. self-interested, manipulative, <laughs> you know, wanting the the success, wanting her career. Her career is the only thing that matters to her. Mm -hmm. Much more than this Sondheim dinner. That's not going to help her win an award. Mm. Um, yeah, I find that, that to me is like great writing. I find it interesting because actually... I found her ambition to be uh, much more reflective at this point. And again, is this potentially manipulation as well? Maybe. And that's kind of the beauty of this character is that you don't quite ever know. But she sort of gives this young reporter certain kind of, you know, exclusives of things. But you know that she's only saying these things because she wants to say them in this moment. So she's crafting the story as she's telling it. But she also talks about being driven mainly not by the truth, not by justice, but by ambition. And I, I love that about her because that's also kind of tying into the thing that we were just talking about, kind of this pure confidence that someone has who has lived and has accomplished everything they wanted to has embraced the things that they wanted to to do 
and the sacrifices that they had to make to achieve those things. And Lana has that has that vibe in that conversation where she she clearly only discloses the things that she wants to. She's at no point disarmed by the interviewer. But I think she's also not pretending to be vulnerable, not pretending to be particularly honest, but just completely herself, kind of without the mask of the 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 seeker of justice or the seeker of truth. It's quite calculating and it's like, this is the hook, this is the story, this is how I do this. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of like a... I mean, she's like the little puppet master in this episode. Mm. Yeah, I like what you said about she is in full control at every single moment and she's showing us exactly what she wants to show us of mm. herself. Um, and that's really clever from a narrative perspective because I think it sort of suggests that there are things at the end of this story that we still don't know mm -hmm. um, because she has very carefully decided to withhold that information from mm. the interviewer and both us as the audience. So the main thing that she reveals throughout the course of this interview, aside of um, you know details about herself, is what happened to Kid Walker and what happened to Sister Jude. So with Sister Jude, I guess, I mean, their stories are intertwined because she she talks about her big broadcast expose at Barcliffe, which at this point in, in the past has deteriorated to a horrible kind of state of squalor where people are just in dire condition and unfed and dirty and sort of in their own excrement. And she essentially breaks into Barcliffe and kind of films all of this and supposedly finds Sister Jude and rescues her, but then also reframes that story and says, actually, that wasn't true. So it's it's implied, the way that I read it is that it's implied that she lied and she pretended to find a woman who she pretended that was Sister Jude, but actually it was someone else. Did you read it that way? Yeah, this is the one bit of the episode that I thought was a bit strange, is why would she tell the TV reporter about that and be like, JK, she wasn't there. It seems I I I get in the sense of this episode and showing us the story like it worked mm -hmm. to have that reveal, um. But in reality, in an interview situation, you would not tell a lie and then be like, "No, actually, I was just joking. That didn't happen." <laughs> I think that might just be like a little piece of bad writing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to I think what I was saying before of her sort of um giving this interviewer something extra that will put her back in the limelight i guess but why would she tell us say one thing and be like yeah no <laughs> it wasn't sorry everything i just said was actually just like a big fat lie <laughs> you know like that's not really a reveal i don't know why they would show us her rescuing sister jude if that was not what happened because it's like it's filmed as part of the broadcast that she does yeah but american horror story loves to do like 
you know, these, oh, that, oh, this shocking thing. Oh, actually, it didn't happen. Like in the last episode opening with Kit with the bloodied axe, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being like, oh, my God, he murdered his wives. No, JK. <laughs> <laughs> One murdered the other. Um, so that to me is, it's them trying to do that thing again mm -hmm. of, of going, oh, and we rescued, I rescued Sister Jude and she was, in in solitary and it was horrific hmm. and then being like actually no this other thing happened and then she brings in kit into her story as kind of the last sane survivor of briarcliff aside from herself and we get the whole story of what happened to kit after Alma, well, after both of his wives kind of die. Uh, what did you think about... I mean, I don't even know how to phrase this question. What do you think about Kit's life after Alma and Grace? I mean, in my notes, I just wrote, sweet baby angel. Yeah. <laughs> He's so lovely. His wedding. His second wedding is so cute. Really cute, although... Though that wife turns up earlier in the episode, you see her for like a second when, um, oh wait, this is going to spoil something we're about to talk about. Like Kit goes to, to rescue Sister Jude mm -hmm. and takes her in. And in the scene of her coming into the house, there's just this like other woman there. <laughs> and I was immediately like, where are the aliens? Yeah. <laughs> because what, the aliens are done now? They just gave up? They're like... Like, I would be very insulted if I married Kit and aliens didn't abduct me. Because <laughs> I feel like that's, it's like a burn, right? Yeah, like, it's like, these what's wrong women, with me? Do I not deserve an alien baby? <laughs> exactly, by these women, vessels of the future humanity. <laughs> nah, no, we'll pass on you. <laughs> We're good. Well, and also, like, if we stick on, on Kit's um new unnamed wife... Also, when he develops cancer at age 40 and, you know, is on is dying, where is she? With the aliens, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> She's partying up with the aliens. Yeah, she just sort of appears and they have this really, really cute wedding, which I agree, it's such a nice scene. <laughs> it's like very inconsequential to this story. Like, I'm, I feel like he didn't really need to have a second wife. No. Third he wife, sorry. <laughs> Losing count of his number of wives he's had. <laughs> well, we don't. We never know if he technically married Grace, though, did he? Because he was married to Alma legally. That's true. That's true. So sec yeah, second wife. That I will say that I find the alien story ends a bit weirdly. Yeah. Um, because the kids just grow up to become one's a Harvard law professor and the other's a neurosurgeon. You're like, <laughs> you are alien babies and you just yeah a neurosurgeon well you know not to <laughs> not to dunk on neurosurgeons it's a great and very accomplished job but if i was literally the child of aliens you at least <laughs> want to be like president of a country right yeah was that the aliens plan they were up in their spaceship going yeah we're gonna yeah they're gonna become a neurosurgeon and, and then <laughs> then humans will see <laughs> Like, what was their plan? What was that was their plan? We're gonna come to Earth and create lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the downfall of humanity. 
absolute sidebar, but have you seen the film Track 29? I have not. The only reason I bring it up is because he made me think of it because there's a there's like a, a, a segment in that film, which is a really weird road trip film with uh, Gary Oldman, where they end up in a in a town that's populated by no one except lawyers. <laughs> that was the, the aliens established that town. <laughs> but when he's just trying to sue each other. <laughs> that's amazing. That's really funny. Uh, sorry, that was a complete uh, <laughs> that's segue. Really, that's good. Yeah, and then the aliens sort of... Well, the alien kids kind of have special powers because they are able to soothe Sister Jude when she's really not well. Yeah, they basically cure her of like all mental illnesses, but not physical. But then when Kid, di- when kid is dying, he sort of just gets taken away by the aliens. Again, I really don't understand what their plan was. (laughs) And also, they don't take away Grace, and they don't take away Alma? Well, no, because they're obsessed with specifically Kit. (laughs) The women were just, like, accessories to this. Yeah. Maybe they didn't even care about the children. They just love Kit. They're just big (laughs) Kit stands. (laughs) Well, that's understandable, and also, I guess it's because of his, uh, his empathy? He's just very empathetic. And and we, as aliens, would dig that. <laughs> Big empathy energy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I find it very strange that the, the kids do, are implied to have supernatural mm-hmm. powers, can like immediately cure every like mental affliction that someone might have. And yet, when people get cancer, they're just like, oh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, know, don't know what to do with that so, eh. you have superpowers yeah. you actually have the power of healing like just yeah the alien the, the alien story ends very weirdly for me I think that's my my yeah. one big takeaway from this episode I think as as we finished rewatching the season I think I now remember why this was my least favorite one and the one I've only seen once, well, now twice. And it's because of the alien storyline, because I just never, I think I always wanted a little bit of closure or something with them. And there is none, which to a point I kind of respect because it it feels, it feels more true to life for people, human beings to not know the grand plan of extraterrestrials. And I think that's kind of a bit realistic but also i'm not looking for realism when i'm watching american horror story yeah and i find it strange that um to talk about this like a vague non-spoilery way Mm -hmm. american horror story as we will continue through the seasons has a tendency to bring ideas back Mm -hmm. and sometimes characters but at least like concepts Mm -hmm. um the aliens never return in any kind of form this is true because we know that aliens exist and Mm -hmm. they're just like Flat out, never mentioned again. <laughs> they never return, never come back, <laughs> never drop by to say hi. <laughs> we never check in on the alien kids again. We never know they if just... there's more alien kids as well. Yeah. Mm. Did these children do like perform miracles, or did they literally just become a law professor and a neurosurgeon and <laughs> and then just died and that was it? Nah. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out hope for season ten. 
the return of the alien children <laughs> mixed with mermaids mixed with mermaids <laughs> so we also find out i mean you know so sister jude dies peacefully finally meets the angel of death it's a really beautiful scene yeah and i liked that um well i guess it's not quite a, a dolly zoom because the bed seems to literally move hmm. but that great shot where the camera sort of comes in on sister jude mm-hmm. on her deathbed as the angel of death is is approaching it's just mm-hmm. a really nice shot yeah absolutely the cat agrees <laughs> <laughs> he has a lot of thoughts about this episode <laughs> yeah he's a big <laughs> big fan of asylum <laughs> he's a big fan of kid he's like i have thoughts i have thoughts <laughs> So we come back to Lana and after her interview ends and she's left alone, that's the moment where Johnny Morgan and Lana Winters finally properly meet. So what do you what did you make of Johnny's confrontation with his mother? I found it really interesting that she immediately goes back to the same Lana that she was uh, when she was kidnapped by Dr. Thredson. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, again, it's her being manipulative, but like in a, a way that is literally saving her life. So yeah. this is like positive manipulation, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, and it's that way that she's immediately trying to soothe him uh-huh. and and be, you know... And, and break down his barriers and try and basically tell him what he wants to hear mm-hmm. is that oh you're so great babe and she calls him baby right and yes. she kind of like touches his hand and um you know very very motherly mm-hmm. and then can i say what happens well, yeah. <laughs> and then because he's got a gun and, and he's about to shoot her and she's all like oh sweet baby sweet baby Let's take that gun away from you. Bam! She shoots him. Sorry, that was loud. <laughs> but anyway, it's this thing. But headphones, I'm sorry if I scared you, but she shoots him in the face. Shoots him right point blank in the face. Yeah. Like, I found it really interesting because, like, it's something that they mention in the in the interview. And it's something that she actually references in the previous episode where she's like, I, I've got this ability to get into the troubled male psyche that's my voice that's my ability that she when she's been a full dickhead to kit in Mm. the previous episode and then it's something that the interviewer brings up again where she kind of lifts lists off a a list of you know imaginary accomplishments and a lot of them rely on lana being able to essentially manipulate men into being truthful and she's sort of deploying all of that with with Johnny as well. And we we find out as well that she actually knew that he was coming for her, that she she was being warned by the authorities that he had escaped, that he was um intent on coming to confront her, probably kill her. So she she's primed and kind of feeds into his profound mummy issues. But also, like, recognizes him when he, he pretends to be someone from the crew and, like, hands her a glass of water. And they sort of lock eyes. And she's clearly playing on his big vision of what it must be like to to have a relationship with her as his mother. But also very much, I don't think she 
I don't think she recognized him. I don't think she knew it was him. Yeah, because he's very proud of the little plan. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I waited by your building. And then, you know, the her first person who was in it was the donut guy. I killed the donut guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I pretended to be the donut guy. That's how I got in. <laughs> and, he, you know, he does one of those big villain speeches mm. as if she's meant to be like, wow, you're so smart. I never would have thought of killing the donut guy. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, like that is again, like yeah, feeding into his his ego that mm. he. I think Johnny has a lot of fantasies about himself. Yeah. It's it's one thing she says that I think is truthful that he isn't his father, mm-hmm. who I think had a very you know that was a deeply like psychologically embedded, uh, impulse for evil. Mm-hmm. Um, while yeah, Johnny is it's more about the the imitation and and the the push and pull between this idea of mother and father mm-hmm. and and who he he needs someone to 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 turn all his hate towards then he needs someone to obsessively idolize mm-hmm. and you get the sense that very early on in his childhood it was the mother that he idolized um and then over time which it, well he because he mentions he found that the tape on eBay, I don't know why it was on eBay. The tape of her uh, telling Threadson that she she's not going to have the baby and yeah. she's going to get an abortion. Yeah, and it sort of implied that that was the turning point for him. That maybe he actually had a lot of sympathy for Lana mm-hmm. up until that point. And he blames her for everything, which I found hilarious. <laughs> hilarious is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Where it's like in the equation where your father is a serial killer and your mother is a journalist who he sexually assaulted and um then had tied up and didn't speak all things to and she killed him and in self-defense and revealed his identity she's the one who did the terrible thing yeah <laughs> Yeah, maybe you should be a bit less obsessed with your dad. Mm. Oh, but the one thing we haven't mentioned is what happens to the Monsignor. Oh, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) He's dead. Don't have to worry about him anymore. I mean, it's the end of the show, but we have to worry about him anymore. Yes. And also, yeah, Lana. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he essentially is driven to suicide because he is was gonna get exposed for hiring a nazi doctor who did a lot of human experiments that resulted in a lot of deaths yeah so it's a bit sad yeah it is sad how he goes but uh also he's dead so (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to i can't I can't wait to figure out who and who I'm just going to develop. A, but I don't remember hating him this much the first time I watched it. But yeah, we'll see who I develop a burning hatred for next. I'm excited. I've got a couple of ideas. I want to see. I want to see who you hate. It's going to be someone so random. Yeah. It's going to be like someone who serves the witch's coffee every morning. <laughs> like fuck that guy. <laughs> so there's just one thing. I think that we've we've not covered yet and it's it's sort of the last real scene of the show of the of the season I should say 
And it's so after Lana shoots Johnny Morgan point blank in the face, there is a flashback to her first entering Barcliffe and one of her first conversations with Sister Jude. And it's this thing where she Sister Jude tells her that if, if she looks too closely at evil, evil will look her, look her back in the face and look her back in the eye. And she does this little smile. What did you make of that as the as the final scene of the series? Well, it sort of I does reframe Lana's character a little bit. She's really, you know, not this innocent journalist who mm. just wanted the truth anymore. Because kind of the little smirk seems to me to implicate to be like, you know, how do you know I'm not the face of evil? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that is how I read that final scene of of you know Lana really got everything that she wanted but you know I don't know it's interesting you're kind of left to the question of like is she our hero is she the hero of this mm-hmm. story or was she just a woman who had very <laughs> very you know I don't know concrete ideas of what she wanted out of life and she got those things fully for herself and not really for anybody else and you know what i actually really like that reading because it's it's a very rare thing to see on screen in films and series to see a a female character who is nakedly ambitious Mm -hmm. and the pursuit of fame and the pursuit of success at the cost of anything she really reminded me of um, Faye Dunaway's character in Network mm. and Linda Fiorentino's character in The Last Seduction. Like, and I, I quite like this reframing of her as I'm not the plucky, wide-eyed journalist who wants to save good people from terrible treatments. Like, no, I can smell a good story. And that's what I'm going for. Not because of what the story will, how the story will help other people, but because of how, because it's a good story and it will help me. And she will yeah. lie, and she will lie for the for the purposes of a good story. Yeah, it's just it's like that nice added complexity. Mm. Cuz it'd be so easy to have a show about, you know, a hero journalist who yeah, in the pursuit of truth, we have so many examples of that. But just to have something that you know, and it, and it what's great about it, it doesn't undo all the things that she did. It doesn't undo the trauma that she suffered. It's just that little twist, that little mm. complication to her. So let's move on to our categories. Did you have a favorite quote of the episode? Uh, this is, again, something I just really enjoyed the delivery of. Mm-hmm. And it was when Johnny Morgan is doing his big like confession. He's kind of breaking down a little bit. And he goes, I've hurt people. And then he lets out the most incredible noise. It's like, but... <laughs> I like I had to go back because like I was like did I just hear what did I just hear <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> it's so good oh my god I'm gonna have to go back and hear it again because I missed that it's my, yeah because it, it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere and it's really quick and quiet <laughs> but he does make a little noise after he says I've hurt people how about you I'm going to have to say that my favorite quote is actually Marion, who's Lana's partner, 
when she just leans over just before they're about to start and she does that. And it's like, we have that Sondheim dinner, birthday dinner thing tonight. And as like, as we were talking about before, the most tedious thing that they just have to show up for half an hour and then they'll go and get some pizza. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It just encapsulates Lana's new lifestyle in a single throwaway line. Yeah. You invoke Sondheim. <laughs> that person's gonna be pretty snobby. <laughs> what about we've retired Sad Butt last week, but who do you think is the MVP of this episode? I mean Lana. I mean obviously. <laughs> Lana, yeah. <Yes. laughs> this is the Lana episode. She wins. She winner takes it all. Literally Lana. shoots the whole episode in the face. Yeah. Yep. And did you pick up on any insensitive historical references this week? Yes. So the clip of her doing the expose in in Briarcliff, which I wasn't because we didn't really talk about this, but the one thing that really made me laugh is that they they basically break in, they go through mm-hmm. the tunnels and they just start recording and filming people. And then it's just where the attendant turns up. <laughs> He's like <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hi. <Yeah. laughs> it's just really strange to me that they're just recording for like half an hour, and mm-hmm. then some guy just walks in, like, uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but the way that it's shot and mm-hmm. the the things that she says, uh, like these images and sounds are far more powerful than any words that can be spoken. Are uh, are pretty much exactly what. Uh, Geraldo Rivera said when he did a documentary about Willowbreak State School, mm-hmm. which is um just a similar situation of uh, horrific abuse uh, in a, a state was state run institution in Staten Island in mm-hmm. New York City, and this was in the seventies that he exposed it. Yeah, so this was specifically children with intellectual disabilities. And and I think this this particular documentary was sort of a, a really pivotal point in the history of um, mental health and like the treatment of mental health, mm-hmm. because up until this point, I think, you know, all these things that we've seen in asylum were pretty, I don't know, everyone just tolerated it. And and this stuff went on and, and it all kind of happened behind closed doors. Um, and I think the families of these individuals often just... I don't know, not to be flippant, didn't care mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to intervene mm-hmm. and then help all these victims of this this horrific abuse. I mean, all the stuff that you see in the episode of, you know, people um, without access to any hygiene, like living basically in rags, like a lot of them are half naked because their clothes have like kind of fallen apart on top of them and and, you know, really terrible malnutrition. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing. It's this expose, this was a very extreme example of it, but I think it really illuminated what was happening a lot across the country was mm-hmm. that, you know, people um, with mental health issues, people with disabilities were just being treated as, I don't know, not even second class citizen, being treated as something like barely human in people's eyes, and they just did not care what happened to them. Um, and so from my, yeah, from my understanding, this particular documentary kind of started to change the conversation around mm. it. And also it's, um, 
when I was looking into it, I think at least a good chunk of it is available to view still on YouTube. I'm really embarrassed to think that I think I first heard about this when I was watching a ghost show. Mm. So I'm trash. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. All my historical education comes from watching ghost shows. (laughs) (laughs) Embarrassing. Well, I mean, we're both trash because we're spending so much of our time talking about American Horror Story. (laughs) (laughs) Which is its own kind of ghost show. Yeah. (laughs) And did you pick up on any film references in this last episode? Not really. I was trying to think if the, the interview was inspired by anything. But mm. uh, did you? Not really specifically. Like I mentioned, she her demeanor and kind of coldness really reminded me of uh, Faye Dunaway's character in Network. And I was thinking of kind of interview-based films, even something like Frost Nixon, which was quite recent. But they don't... Like, it's much more of a broadcast format. Like, I think it's much more mm. hearkening to... Um, kind of centerpiece big interviewers in America especially people like Barbara Walters you know who will do these sort of very very high level high intensity live interviews with people who like only they can get access to forgot we didn't point out that uh, Bloody Face is listening to a Lana Winters audiobook (laughs) (laughs) at the beginning of the episode I don't know if that was worth mentioning that made me laugh why was that an audiobook his obsession. I think he just wanted to like be close to her in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, but I guess I was just confused as to why she wrote it in the sixties, when he's like on Audible listening to the the Lana Winters audiobook. Well, I guess because you know this is in the in the two thousands, so she probably like for a re-release, like recorded the audiobook version. I guess. I mean, people always sound like a Truman Capote audiobook (laughs) (laughs) in Cold Blood. I don't, I don't think he read it, but I'm sure there is one. I don't know. I don't know why I found it so weird that she was reading her own book. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like a very Lana thing to do, to be honest. That's true. It does make sense for her character. She does mention the Joker at one point. Oh yes. Because she, they, the, the interviewer wants to talk about Bloody Face. And she's like, he's not some kind of Heath Ledger movie star villain. <laughs> just say the Joker. I just found it really weird. Were they legally not allowed to say the Joker? I don't think that they would be precluded from saying the Joker. I just feel like, why you gotta bring, why, why do you have to bring Heath Ledger into this? So I guess we can wrap up this series. Well, yeah, I think well, next week we're going to do like we did with Murder House. And we're going to do a special roundup. We're going to give out some awards. The Asylum Awards? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to make an award that's like, fuck you, to Timothy Howard? Oh, I think we're going to have some fun with the Asylum Awards. Yeah. Yeah. The aliens are going to sweep the board. <laughs> I'm predicting it. As will Satan. <laughs> Satan. Satan and the aliens. Oh my God. Maybe it can be sponsored by Satan. Yeah, we want to ring yeah. up the Church of Satan, Satanic te- no Satanic Temple. They're the cool yeah. ones. They're the cool ones. 
<laughs> sorry, we keep going off track. I'm sorry. This is my fault. <laughs> this is this is what happens. This is the American Horror Story effect. <laughs> By the last or the penultimate of the last episode, in our case, the penultimate one, because we're gonna do a roundup. It's all just sort of like all the different plot lines are just like flinging themselves against the wall and seeing what sticks. We're doing the same thing. So we're keeping very yeah. on brand, I think. Yes. <laughs> we also don't know how to wrap this up. <laughs> I think we'll say, just to make one general comment, mm. as as final episodes go, this may be the most coherent of all the seasons. This one made a lot of like was kind of tight and worked. Yes. I mean, I don't know if I agree with you about all the seasons. Uh. But I do agree this was a really tight tightly wrapped up episode to end the series a series that has you know began with a lot of shit being flung at the walls literally and figuratively yeah (laughs) yes so we'll be back next wednesday with the asylum awards now officially sponsored by satan we're calling it (laughs) he's agreed to this i spoke to him in the meantime send us your thoughts on twitter i'm at clarice lou and I am at Anna B. Demented. Sponsored by Satan. Do you think Satan has merchandise? Because I would like so. Okay. <laughs> have so you been busy. on have you been on the website for the Satanic Temple? They have the cutest gift store. <laughs> like I my ambition when all of this is over, pandemic wise, and we can travel again, mm. I am gonna go to Salem and I'm gonna go to the gift shop at the satanic temple i'm gonna buy all their stuff they have like a little t-shirt with like a devil kitty on it (laughs) and um like little witch designs and and cute little like um you know cute little bantha mats (laughs) yeah it's really really nice Chemin en tout